Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. I actually had a little laugh to myself when I discovered the topic that we're going to be discussing here today. It's time management. Um, It's all too easy to feel overwhelmed and like there's never enough time to accomplish everything that we want to do. Trust me, I feel the same way when balancing uni and work and gym and all the other aspects of my life that I try to take as a priority. Um, Whether you're a student like me, a professional, an entrepreneur, or simply someone seeking to make the most out of each day, then I think this episode may be for you. Um, We are in the hands of a professional coach and educator on being in control of our own lives with stress, time management, and relationship management. Um, Barbara Clifford is the expert joining me here today to hopefully share some of her expertise. Thank you so much for joining me today, Barbara. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, and I am very jealous that there is sunshine in your area while there is not in mine, even though we are in the same country. Well, I guess you wouldn't be jealous when it's 42 degree heat here or when it's minus four. Uh, I'm sure you wouldn't be jealous of those in climate changes in our environment, in peak peak seasonal times. I, I like to take every day as it comes, so <laughs> I'll 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 be jealous of today. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Okay. So, can you tell me a little bit more about how you got into talking about stress and time management, and what got you inspired to really help others in their managing? So it's a question I get often asked and, or I might get asked, how do you get into this? What, what, what's the career path that takes you to this point? For me, Mm -hmm. I started, I actually started my career in the film and television industry when I was 15. I worked in that industry for like 20 years. And then I got to the point where I started to reevaluate what was important in life. And this is a key thing too in time management too is, is, well, what do we place value on? What are the things that are important to us? We talk about prioritization, for example. And I realized that the working in the film industry wasn't serving me anymore. I didn't want to be working in that industry anymore. I wanted something different, wanted to have quality of life with my family. And I did a lot of personal and professional development around that time. And one of the things I did, I worked with a coach who said, you can build a business around what it is that you're an expert in and what it is that you place value on. And that intrigued me. So then I started to do work with other people around values, solicitation, and understanding what my core beliefs and values were. And I was really shocked at the time to find out that time management was the thing, was my thing. That was my genius side and that was my gig. 
And then when I looked mm. back over my career, it made a lot of sense. So working in the film industry, I'd always wanted to be a director, but I ended up being a producer and a production manager because I was so efficient at organizing things and getting things done in a timely manner. When I, as a filmmaker, I was also supporting my career as a waitress. And mm -hmm. again, as a waitress, I always got sucked into, I got asked to be a function manager and be the organizer because I was efficient with my time and enjoyed mastering my time. So it didn't matter what I was doing. It was this common thread throughout my career. And, uh, and so at that time, I decided to explore the idea of coaching people around time management and share with them all the skills that I'd learned through different industries and different work that enabled me to adapt and to perform professionally in those situations. And then when I, once I started coaching people in time management, I recognized a big part of that, which goes hand in hand with stress management. When people are time poor, they, they get really stressed. Or if they're really stressed, it's really hard to manage their time. I recognized I needed to support my clients by also addressing what I could do to manage their stress. And so in that instance, I actually trained with the Stress Management Institute to be a stress management practitioner to support the, the work that I did. So that's where, that's where in a nutshell, where, where, how I got to this point through that career trajectory. Now, when you told me that you're doing um, film, I was like, okay, yeah, that's where you got it from. I think, especially the way that they're teaching us, because I'm doing a master's in media at the moment, and the way that they're teaching us to be efficient of time, I, when you was talking about that, I was like, okay, yeah, that's where you get the time management idea from. Like you have to be on point at every single thing that you're doing. So yeah, it definitely, it definitely makes sense with the amount of career paths that you've gone down and how many times that you've had to be organized in so many different ways. Yeah. Time is the biggest thing in the film industry. And so quite often what you will do is shoot things out of sequence so that you can make good use of your time. So you're not having to reset things or move things around you while you've got the camera facing in that position, you'll do all the shots that need to be done facing that position, for example. Um, mm -hmm. you, you have to have contingency plans. So if it rains or if this happens, you need to be able to get people on set at the right time so that they're ready to go when it's time to shoot things. So you've got to have everything pre-prepared for when it's time to go and, and film. So, And you don't want people sitting around because you have to typically pay for their time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to be super efficient. Time is money yeah. in the film industry. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And that's what they, yeah. that's what they tell us. <laughs> so... So talking about time and stress management, they really seem like they go hand in hand. They really seem like they really fit in to each other, like clogs working constantly and trying to make an efficient person. Yeah, look, there's there's certainly what we've we've expanded our business because we've actually recognised there's more than that. So now the work that I do actually looks it's a lot more holistic than that because again, what I was finding 
was that I would be coaching people around their time management, but actually sometimes what they lacked, or their stress management, but what they lacked was the ability to to communicate, to be able to assert themselves, to be able to negotiate conflict, to be able to say no. Uh, And you can imagine those things are really important when it comes to time management is to actually know what you can say no to and how to say no so you're not taking on too much. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I started to expand also into the areas of communication and well-being and leadership um, and resilience because all of those support the time management, stress management. If one of those is falling down, if you don't have the capacity to be able to communicate professionally, then your time management and stress management is going to suffer. We can manage our stress and understand stress, but if we don't know how to bounce, if we don't know how to adapt, which is the resilience, Mm -hmm. then it's constantly going to happen. The stress is constantly going to be there. Um, And if you don't get a good night's sleep, if you're not drinking enough water, all of those things, then of course you're not going to be able to concentrate and it's going to take you three times as long to do things and you're putting your body under stress. So you can see how all of those things uh, fall into play. And the leadership is just about um, being able to lead a team or if you're the go-to person all the time for whatever mm-hmm. reason, personally, professionally, you, you're a leader. So you need to be able to manage that position as well so that you can be efficient. And part of that is, for example, is getting good at delegating and knowing how to delegate efficiently so mm-hmm. that you can you can keep doing what you need to do in your genie space. Yeah. Wow. It seems like everything needs to fit together and balancing them all must be really tough for a lot of people then in terms of managing, especially like you said earlier, what's a priority to you and what do you take as a focus in your life? And balance is one of those dirty words, I have to say, because everybody talks about work-life balance, but the reality is that uh, it'll never be perfectly balanced. There'll always be something that's taking priority at any one time. The key is to know when to turn things on and when to turn things off. For example, people talk about living a stress-free life. But that's an anomaly because uh, we need stress to function. Right now, you and I are performing well because we're under stress. We're under pressure. We're being recorded. We've got to think on our feet. And we couldn't do that unless we had a little bit of stress in our system enabling us to perform. We need stress to survive predators. We need stress to be out, help us navigate traffic in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Um, the fight the fight or flight response and the hormones that go with that. We need stress to be able to make a presentation. So we can't be stress-free. All of those things is about knowing when to turn things on and when to turn things off, and that's the key, mm-hmm. and that's where people struggle, which is where I come into play to help people get clarity around, around when to turn things on or off. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't wait to talk about this even further and – definitely do a deep dive into the practices that you go through in terms of what you do with your clients. Um, Before we get into that, I love to do a little icebreaker to get us started. It's a ritual that we have on the show. Uh, Just share anything that sort of comes to your mind when I ask you these questions. So the first one is a favorite book of yours. 
Probably one of my favorite. This is a tough one. When I saw you were going to ask me, this is like, oh, just one. Um, but I think probably one of the the most significant was how to win friends and influence people. Have you heard of that book? I've you know? read that once, and yeah. I need to read it again to really understand it. Because you read it once, you get so hyped up on it. The second time is when you really, for me, when you really start to learn it. Yeah. So well, I I loved reading it. It's a, it's a really well-known and famous book. And when yeah. I was doing leadership training, uh, they would always talk about this book, but I knew that it was over 100 years old. I was like, oh, what's an 100-year-old <laughs> man going to teach me about the modern professional world? But when you read it, you have to get a newer version because the original old versions are very old English, like they're very it's very old-fashioned. You need something that's a little bit more modernised. Um, but mm. it's often referred by business coaches and business leaders because it's got such beautiful practical information about how to how to influence people. And I think it's really powerful for leaders and managers. It's it's basic basic human practice how we how as as humans we like to live and work together, and that doesn't change over time very much. So there's still great beautiful wisdom in there. No, I think it was such an amazing book when I read it. And even though it was, it felt very old fashioned, some of the terminology and some of the ways that it did, I think a lot of it really fits in how society functions today. It definitely shows that we haven't changed as much as we think, but, but we're very used to some parts of what the book says and some of the ideologies that some of the book really tries to put an emphasis on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the next one is a favorite movie of yours. Uh, I think one of my favorite movies that had such a huge impact on me was The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. Um, mm -hmm. And so that story inspired me to actually go and read the book, the biography that that was based on. But it was based on the story of Chris Gardner. It's such an inspiring and extraordinary story. And I often cite that when I'm coaching people about overcoming adversity, uh, achieving big goals, um, climbing big mountains, and just the mindset and the thought process that you need to have to be able to achieve success. I just love that story. And even in the film, some of the scripts, some of the lines were just really, really powerful, really impactful. Yes, no, I agree. I loved, I loved the way that it was filmed. Like it wasn't so overly done. It wasn't, it was very simplistic in the terms that, in the visuals that it had, but it had such a big meaning to each scene was there for a purpose. It wasn't there. Like a lot of scenes went there as a filler scene. It was, and I, yeah, you can hear me now and starting to talk in such a film nerd um, little aspect to it, but I love the way that the films that, especially the way that Will Smith carried it way that every little person played a role in there and was there for a reason. And I haven't read the book, but apparently the book is very similar to how the movie is. So, yeah. So yeah, I'm probably, I should start reading the book now, now that I'm back into reading again. <laughs> It's an easy book to uh, read. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I will put that on my very tall list. 
The next one is a favorite podcast of yours. So um, dare I say it, I'm not a huge podcast listening person, but there is two podcasts that by the same, that are kind of driven by the same person that I listen to religiously. Uh, so one that I listen to pretty much every every day is called Outlouders and it, it comes from um, Mia Friedman who has, a, she was very famous for a um, website blog that she started called Mamma Mia and she was an ex-Australian um, um, magazine editor. And it's it's kind of, I love listening to it because it's three Australian women, very, actually one's English, um, she lives in Australia, um, various professional backgrounds, different ages, different experiences, and they'll be talking about things that are happening contemporarily that are um, happening in the media at the moment. They'll be talking about the latest, latest stories, latest media, and giving their opinion. I love it when they argue. And they're professional women, and I, I think I align with their values and their thought process about things and their integrity in the way that they discuss sometimes some really difficult topics. And I typically listen to that when I'm going to sleep at night, and I just it's like listening to your mother, and it reminds me of listening to my mum and my grandma talking about something in the kitchen while I'm drifting off to sleep as a little girl about something that's topical and interesting for them. So... I do listen, but I fall asleep very quickly. <laughs> but I, and it allows me to get a lot of value out of the podcast because the next night I just catch up to where I was the night before. Listen again. Well, there you go. That's amazing. Oh, so what was the podcast name it's again? Called, Sorry, out, it's called Out Louders, like speaking out, out loud. And Mia Friedman is the is the like the um, driver or the the. Um, yeah, she's the kind of the person, the identity that's pushed this podcast. Ah, okay. Oh, yeah, I know who Mia Friedman. I knew that that name sounded familiar, so I had to double check um, with my own brain and see whether it was the same person I was thinking. And yes, okay, I'm going to add that to my list of what I need to watch. She does some. She does another one called No Filter, which is brilliant because that's where she's interviewing people that. You wouldn't normally hear from, and the mm -hmm. idea of the podcast is that they have absolutely no filter. So she'll ask them questions, and you'll hear things about them that you never knew. So that's another one. I know where you said one, but okay, I, just, I snuck in and, another one there. Yeah, there you go. Go for it. We've we're completely <laughs> free here, so don't no stress about that. And okay, <laughs> no filter. I'm going to add that and have a look at that as well because they both sound very interesting to me. They are really interesting. The next one is a famous role model that you have. Oh, my goodness. I thought about this and I wrote one down and I crossed it off and I wrote one down. And I thought <laughs> it, this is probably someone that influences me ongoing. And so I follow them on social media so that I constantly get their influence. And that's Simon Sinek. I love his take on things okay. and his obs observations. Do you know who Simon Sinek is? The name sounds familiar. Hi, he wrote one of, and I often refer to this book in my training. He, one of his most famous oh. books is Start With Why. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know exactly uh, who you're talking about now. Yeah. I just Googled and, him and yes. Yeah. And he's got a really famous TED talk about 
how I think it's called How Great Leaders Inspire Action. He did a video um, a couple of years ago that went viral about how to communicate, how how to lead millennials, how to work with millennials. So, mm-hmm. yes, and so he constantly puts out content that's really short and digestible and really informative and useful and inspirational. So, yeah, I'd say yeah. I'd pick him. Well, he's a good person to pick. I watch him quite often and he's always on my Instagram feed just doing little talks here and there. So, yes, I can definitely see why you would pick him. Yeah. Uh, to finalize it all, what is a course that you've completed that sort of really put you into the position you are in now? Um, well, a recent course that I've done, well, when I say recent, I did it feels like only yesterday, but it was about two years ago, was I became an accredited mediator. And so why that was valuable for me, I had to train, do pretty intense training with that and be assessed, um, was as a me- as a workplace mediator and putting that into practice now, I'm actually seeing the consequence of people not doing things wrong are doing things right. So if people are managing their time or they're not being an effective communicator and ends up creating conflicts and tensions in the workplace that actually end up resulting in workplace mediation. So mm-hmm. um, it it is valuable and managing stress and overwhelm and burnout and all of those things. So it exposes me to the side effects or what happens as a consequence or seeing why these things occurred. It actually informs me really well to be able to do that work. So that's probably the most significant for me recently. Well, that whole idea idea of being a workplace mediator has always fascinated me. Like I've seen it in films, I've seen it in so many different ways and the way that they sort of try to handle different disagreements that happen within the workplace. It's amazing the the importance of a job that you don't even really think about when you sort of, it's not a job that you sort of just wake up and be like, okay, I'm going to be a workplace mediator. There's a lot of other things that sort of come to mind first, but to be a workplace mediator is such a, it has such a huge impact on the way that the company communicates. Yeah. So, um, it does. And the the interesting thing is that conflict is actually healthy. People often come into mediation um, feeling down on themselves because they've contributed to getting to this point. But it, it, when we're talking about time management, it actually can be quite productive because when you resolve the conflict, you actually come up with great solutions that will move a business in, in a positive direction. But it's mm-hmm. really tricky to the training in terms of doing being a mediator is you have to be trained to have absolutely like zero level of bias. So you can't look at one person for too long, just how you identify them, a whole range of things that go, nope, points lost because you've created a, a minuscule level of bias. You're not allowed to make suggestions. You can, when, you're a, when you're a bystander, you can often see what the problems are, but you can't intervene. So you can't make suggestions. You can't direct people. You can't tell them what to say when they go into the mediation space. You only facilitate a conversation. Yeah, so it's a real, it's challenging to be able to do that. You have to be very careful with the language that you use. Yeah, no, that sounds like a very, um, 
very scary job for me to do because the amount of times that you would have need to be suggestive, be like, let them talk, let this person talk. And that's all pretty much all you have to do. Whereas in my mind, I'm like, okay, no, you be quiet. You be quiet. Everyone else just say your piece. But yeah, it's hard not, it's, it must be a hard job to not to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. The idea is to get people talking. Yeah. Yep. True. All right. So now we're talking about the whole reason that you're on the show today to talk about time management and also probably stress management as well, seeing as they do go quite hand in hand. Um, Over the course of your experience, how would you personally define what productivity is? So when we, when we look at it from a personal level, it's about being able to, the, probably the two biggest things that people come to me with is uh, prioritization and procrastination. They're the, mm-hmm. the, probably the biggest pain points. It's, it's one of the most popular presentations or workshops that I do is how to master procrastination and prioritization. And time that mm-hmm. we only have so much time, obviously, in the day. So the, the key here is to know to know what comes first. What do I trump one thing over the other? That's the prioritization. And the procrastination is where am I wasting time? Where am I not using my time efficiently given the time I do have? Um, and where am I losing that time? So in essence, those things are probably the biggest thing that it comes down to with, with time management. Stress management, again, is just another is, is another topic again, but it, that is also um, much of this is about being able to manage in the moment. What choices do I make in the moment that have a long-term consequence or benefit? And mm-hmm. particularly when you're in pressure situations, how do you make decisions very quickly and um and precisely for for a long-term gain yeah no i think especially when it comes to being productive there is such a huge way like i know for me the minute that i start to get stressed i shut down or my whole body is just not able to really deal with things um list by list and just go down as to from what's important to what can be done later on because the feeling of being overwhelmed already with the, such a small task, um, like smaller tasks as well. So it's amazing to see the whole idea of productivity being, it's a difference between the needing to say no, being incapable of it, while also just for lack of a better word, the laziness that sort of comes about with it. So, how would you go ahead and define what time management is in regards to productivity? Um, so obviously time management is that we only have so much time to be able to do the things we can do. However, it's knowing what to put into that time that we have. So it is about um, the 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 ultimate goal is to create the biggest impact with the least amount of effort or resource. And effort is brain power. Effort is physical power. Um, resource is things, is not only uh, um, stationary and physical and money and those people, it's also time. 
right? That's mm-hmm. a resource. So the ultimate goal is to be able to achieve things with, that create the greatest impact with the least amount of effort or resource. And then behind that as well, and we're talking overarching uh, theories here around time management, not the practical application. The <laughs> other thing is about being able to balance um, efficiency and effectiveness. So the example I give is I can smash out a thousand cupcakes every hour with a factory process, but they probably look really bad and taste really bad. Or I could spend three days making one cake, like a wedding cake. And it's about being able to know what the balance is in terms of getting things out and how quickly can I get it out and compromise the quality to ensure I can get it out? Like where is mm-hmm. that? Where is the benchmark for each of those things? And so that's time management isn't just about time. We can smash things out really quickly, but what's the quality of it? Does it meet? Does it have an impact? Does it does it meet the expectations and the standards that we that are required for for, for whatever we're outputting? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much a quality over quantity kind of um, situation. Sometimes, like the wedding mm-hmm. cake or the cupcake situation, um, if you wanted to, yeah, like if you wanted to feed 100 people, I would be asking you, do you want a big, beautiful wedding cake or do you want 100 cupcakes that I can turn out really quickly? You know, it's mm. it's about what is the quality, what's the, the the desired outcome at the end, what's the need. If I if mm-hmm. I spent time creating a cake that was like a a wedding cake and cost lots of money because it took so much time for a business funk like a, a you know a quick Melbourne Cup race day or something, you know, where you <laughs> normally get a a roast chicken and salad, and I bring in a wedding yeah. cake, you'd be going across <laughs> hundreds of dollars. You'd be going. That's not what we needed. We so yeah, and you wouldn't want yeah. to serve everyone at a wedding cupcakes. Yeah, no, exactly. So it's finding out pretty much which one fits for each scenario. Yeah. Whether you want the quality of the work, or do you, would you need the quantity? Yeah. So so I say efficiency. So efficient is the time kind of thing, mm-hmm. but it's also the effectiveness. How effective was it for whatever the 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 target was? Yeah. Okay. Now, how does time management influence our own productivity? Yeah. So I think that it the it was obviously going to impact our our stress levels. It's going to impact the goals that we want to achieve. So Mm. in terms of our personal productivity, it's also going to be things like, it's not uncommon in the work that I do, that re-evaluating what's important to people. So people might get really frustrated that they're not producing goals that they want. They're not getting things done. And when I actually unpack it with them, I realize that they're trying to achieve something that is not desirable for them. It's what they think they should be doing or it's the right mm-hmm. thing to do. So, yeah, it's not uncommon when I coach people where they actually decide to change their business, leave their job because they go, what? why am I wasting any more time doing this? It's not taking me to where 
uh, it's not aligned with who I am and it's not taking me where I need to go. So mm-hmm. um, procrastination, part of what I do with people, a, a typical myth, the most common myth with any time management training is that procrastination is just about discipline, right? You, you're not disciplined. But I actually disagree with that. Procrastination is actually choosing to do something that's more pleasurable or more rewarding over the thing you're meant to be doing, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. um, it's about uh, that's coming comes down to understanding what it is that we place value on. Like me with time management, it's actually what it is for me is organizing things and creating order out of chaos and making sense of things. It's really organizing things that that are that I love doing, mm-hmm. and so I don't all like I said to you through twenty years of my career, I never knew that it was there and that was part of who I am because it's just there. It's just a part of me, and I say to people, it's like this arm, you know, it's always there, but it's not until it's gone that that you you don't notice. And typically, people will say, "Oh, you're so good at that," and someone will say, "That's nothing." Anyone can do that, but we're all experts in our own in our own way. We all have yeah. our own unique qualities and personalities that make us good at the things that we do. And so it's those kind of things that drive us away from what we should be doing. And mm-hmm. that is where time management affects our personal productivity. It's about understanding what, what drives us? Because that's probably a, a skill and a unique gift, but it's also a distraction. So for mm-hmm. me, for example, with organizing things, maybe for my business, I should be jumping on the phone and making phone calls. But first, I'll want to alphabetize them, color code them, prioritize them and do all of that before I actually jump on the phone. I'll get yeah. bogged down in organizing it and it doesn't need organizing. I just need to do it. But I want to organize it all first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how does that sort of, I think like when you're talking about that, when you're talking about the whole idea of procrastination, for example, it's basically filling a need that you really would prefer to do rather over the task that you were supposed to do. How do you sort of get out of that idea that you need to do it rather than, okay, I need to for my idea, okay, I'm wasting time playing a game when I know I need to be studying or working. So how do you figure out in your head and how do you have that talk with yourself that sort of convinces you to actually get a task done? So don't, my advice is to not go against what is innately you. Don't go against the grain, so to speak. It's like when you're mm-hmm. filing something down, going against the grain means the wood wants to go this way, but you're trying to file it this way. So um, use that flow, use that energy. And the practice of martial arts is about using the flow of energy. If someone comes running at you, rather than trying to resist them, you use that energy to trip them over, You tr- to trip mm-hmm. over themselves. So you're going to do the same thing in time management. And I've done this with students. So, for example, I had a student that that I was coaching at one point in time, really, really talented student, but they were desperately failing in in history. They hated history. This was to complete year 12, right? Mm -hmm. They absolutely hated it. And I said to them, when you're supposed to be doing history, what are you doing? The guilty, guilty look. And they said, 
I keep going and watching K-pop YouTube. I love this. And this was, her person was a singer. They were studying yeah. music. And this is why they were being coached, right, because they had a, um, a trajectory. They were very talented, but they needed to complete year 12. And mm-hmm. this was, this was going to let them down in terms of getting into uni and doing specialist courses. Um, and so, yeah, they, that's what they, they'd always get distracted doing that. And so what we did was there was no way that we could tie music and K-pop and all of that into history. No way that we could tie it in to make it rewarding. So the, the secret to that is to create a tight schedule and you commit to doing 30 minutes of something you don't like. It's commonly referred to as the Pomodoro technique. It's a very famous time management technique that if you Google it, you'll see it. But the principle is that you work in 30 or 40 minute slots to a timer and then you take a break and then you work again. So how this ties into procrastination is that I would say to her, you just have to give me 30 minutes of history, then we're going to schedule in 15 minutes of K-pop time, but you have to set a timer. You can't have any more than 15 minutes, then another 30 minutes, and then you get 15 minutes K-pop time as a reward but you have to stick to just 30 minutes. So I liken it to being on a treadmill at the gym with a timer. This is what it reminds me of. So, oh, I want to do 15 minutes. And you're running, 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 thinking, oh, yeah, it must be up to 10. And you look and it's only like six or seven. You're, oh, my God, I'm only halfway. <laughs> running, yeah. running, running, running. You look at it, it's like 14 minutes. Like, oh, I just have to do one more minute and then I can stop and have a drink of water and running, 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 running. Ah, great. Now I can have my cold drink of water. So it's the same thing. You're able to push yourself through looking at that time and knowing that you've got a reward at the end. So when I did that with that student, she just excelled in her history. It was unbelievable. So when it would normally take her probably three hours to get this assignment started, she'd stop and start and stop and start and stop and start with K-pop. She was actually getting it done in like 45 minutes because she was just pushing through 30 minutes of focus time, as painful as it was, like being on the treadmill and then allowing herself to have unguilty K-pop time. Like she would say to me, seriously, can I do K-pop? Am I sk- putting that in my schedule? Are you serious? I said, yes, that is me time, which you're allowed to. Really, really important. <laughs> but we've got <laughs> to create the, the what, this is the on and off. This is where the balance comes into it. 30 minutes on, yeah. 15 minutes off. 30 minutes on, 15 minutes off. Yeah. <laughs> so having that little technique and having that sort of mindset okay, I'm going to do spend this amount of time doing one thing. Why is that such a, I mean, it works for a lot of people. It works for some people. It doesn't work for others. Some people are very easy to be able to jump into doing a task and get it completely done and have that discipline in them to be able to get it done. Why do you think it is that some of us just aren't able to have that big jump into, okay, I want to do the task. Because quite often the task is actually not a task, it's a project. So to give you an example, the analogy I use um, that I often refer to is how do you eat an elephant? You will eat it one mouthful at a time. So if I Mm -hmm. asked you to sit down and eat a feast the size of an elephant, you go, whoa, that's too big. I can't do that. But if I said to you, 
just a mouthful today, a mouthful tomorrow or whatever. You, of course, you'd have nev- inevitably eat it. What happens is people sit down to eat an elephant. It's so big. So when something, when you're putting something off, it's often because there's no, there's no clarity. Or if you're jumping around or you're doing a little bit, it's because you're sitting down trying to eat an elephant and it's really hard to digest it. So the best thing you can do, especially when you don't want to do the task, it seems mountainous, is to see how far you can break it down into a chunk, a really a bite. You know, it can be mm-hmm. a huge mountain of a task, but I'm just going to bite it down into a chunk. And typically what I'll say to people is you're going to schedule time in your diary to do this thing and the very first appointment you have with yourself, the only thing you have to do is to is to mind map that project and break it down as far as you possibly can, and then the next appointment you have yourself will be will be one of those bites. So you're then going. All I have to do is, for example, if it's an assignment, I just have to map out what I'm going to do in my assignment. All I have to do is answer this question for half an hour, and that's all I have to do. Rather than going, ah. Oh, I have to sit down and write my assignment because it's it's a big yeah. elephant, yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. No, I think that's such a way of doing it. And I I used to use mind maps so much as a kid to plan out how things were supposed to look. And I mean, you're taught it at a lot of schools, or at least the school that I went to, the use of mind maps. But as an adult, you sort of forget. You're like, okay, um, I'll have an online diary to keep track of the stuff that I need to do. Or I'll have a calendar telling me of things I need to do today. When it comes to the idea of like the physical books and physical diaries and physical mind maps, is there a difference between the productivity in terms of what you see online and what you are able to hold and feel and write on and things like that? Is there a huge difference? There is. And look, I've got, I, I'm a huge digital fan. I love doing things digitally, but then I still get clients that are still very tactile, that people still want to have their note. I mean, I have a notebook, um, but there's people that still want to have their, uh, their, their paper diaries, their paper calendars, all of those things. So it's a matter of working with that. The problem with doing the paper stuff is that you typically have to transfer the information somewhere else. You obviously have to very manually and time-consumingly move things around. Uh, so I will always opt for digital process to be able to the most efficient way to, to manage time. That said, I also pe- see people that get easily distracted by having lots of different apps. And honestly, I suggest to most, unless you're a big business managing a team, don't do it. Like lots of people, I know there's students that love Trello and Asana and, you know, all of those, um, Monday.com and all of those apps, unless you're managing a team, you actually don't need it. The, The key is to be able to streamline the information if you have to look in a hundred different places to work out what you need to do and what you need to prioritize, you're watering down your efficiency. So I mm-hmm. said most people either use Outlook or Google. And within that, you can prioritize not only tasks, but emails. Because most of the stuff we have to deal with these days comes with emails, right? 
So we just mm-hmm. centralize everything into one place. That said, um, the one of the things that is most powerful is using little that I use with the people, particularly students, because I know you'll have students that are li- listening to this podcast. When you have to, I still go back to a very practical and tactile and paper-based <laughs> process. I use tiny little post-it notes, the tiny mm-hmm. little square post-it notes that to do brain dump. So if I know I have to do an assignment, I've got a basic structure there. I'll brain dump everything that I can think of onto a post-it note that I want to write about. And then and then the beautiful thing about post-it notes is that you can pull back or zero in when you need to on the, on the, on the topic, on the information. So you've got all the ideas floating around in your head. Problem is you have to get them out on paper, right? So if you do a brain dump, you just have this flow like tipping out a bucket. All the stuff that's on top comes out, but then all the stuff underneath starts to pour out. And you just randomly, doesn't matter where, you just randomly drop out stuff onto a post-it note. Then what you can do on a wall or a window is shift all those post-it notes around till you get a really beautiful structure to your assignment your business proposal, whatever it is that you're trying to Mm -hmm. plot out, your event plan, um, if you're managing a conference or anything, you can easily move the post-it notes around to you've got that perfect order and structure. It also enables Mm -hmm. you visually to see where something's weak. It's like, oh, this one's got seven post-it notes, but that's only got two. We need to expand in that one. It's lacking Mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So when going through using post-it notes or for anything to try to keep like a brain dump on, how does that fit into tips on how to set goals and achieve realistic goals? And because I know when your brain's completely full of everything, you don't have a clear goal set. You don't have clear mindset as to what things are going to do. And you spend a lot of time trying to think about what your next move is. So how does those brain dumps really help to sort of have that kind of clarity? So what I will typically do with people, I mean, obviously when you're setting a goal, you need to actually evaluate, does it align to your personal values? So it really depends on what that goal is. Sometimes a goal is what we're required to do for uni or we just we're required to do it. But sometimes we set goals that, as I mentioned before, they're just somebody else is telling us it's a good idea and we should be doing it. For example, when I uh, was working with a client who really wanted to write a book and when we actually started to mind map, like branch out what's involved and what they were actually going to need to do, they, they went, oh, actually, I don't know if I really want to do all of that. That doesn't bring spark joy in me. It doesn't sound pleasurable. It doesn't sound like the idea of writing a book sounds great, but then the work that's gone behind it, I don't want to do that. And that's when I said to them, well, have you thought about doing a podcast? It's another way of getting chapter-based information out to people without having to do the writing process. Like, yeah, I think Mm -hmm. I'd rather do that. So the key is in, in addition to mind maps and brain dubs, the other thing in terms of doing a mind map, the biggest question you ask you ask in terms of coming up with a plan is in order to achieve that, what do I need to do before that? And in order to achieve that, what do I need to do before that? 
And I work with people to create very concise mind maps around a goal So until we get to a point where we've actually got a day and a time for something. So mm -hmm. I'm going to research this little thing um, on this day and at this time. Otherwise, goals are dreams, unless there's things that you're putting into action. Like, I'm going to write a book someday. Yes, yeah, someday I'm going to write a book. They need to be that there's the um, often referred to as the SMART theory, which is specific, measurable, achievable, uh, realistic, and a time frame. They should have the goals that you state should have all of those criteria. So mm -hmm. we need to make sure that we're actually serious about this goal. When, when do you want to achieve it by? And what's the plan that's going to take you there? And does it align to the big picture of where you want to go, the, the big vision that you have, or is it a distraction from, from mm -hmm. what you should be doing? Is it something that someone else said you should be doing? Um, so, yeah, doing, asking the question and before that what needs to happen and before that creating a mind map um, is, is essentially we're creating now an operational plan rather than that's something that's strategic and overarching. We're now going what practically needs to happen in order to achieve that goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess that's the big difference between what a goal is and what a pipe dream is. Yeah, sort of exactly. Seeing, yeah. yeah. It's for me, it's pretty incredible to see how a lot of dreams and how a lot of um, ideas of how people want to be in their lives and just seeing them put it in action. It's always it's always incredible to see because these steps that they take, it's not just it's really not just, OK, I'm here and I want to go here it's like I'm here but I need to go in these different places before I can get to there so it's not just an a and b kind of result it's a a to z situation in order to build the goals that you want to do in life so it's it's always amazing for me to see just how much people can do when they're sort of taking it and I think that's going back to what we we're talking about earlier about the little blocks that we do at a at a time, little areas that we take on at a time. I think probably one of the other traps that people fall into that I'm typically working with when we're talking about goals, whether they're big or, or short-term goals, I refer mm -hmm. to what we call a time budget. So we know with money, for example, that we'll go, I've got, I, I have this much to spend in certain areas. Like if you think about it from a home point of view, well, it's going to cost me this much. I think it's going to cost me this much for power. I need this much for rent. I need this much for groceries. And we go at the end of the, the pay cycle, we go, how much money have I got left? Did I stick to my budget? Did I overspend in any area? Did I understand? What, did I spend what I anticipated? And so typically what I see is people don't actually budget their time. So what I do with people is go, okay, and I'll give you a, um, a story with a client to give you an example. Had a client that was working 60-hour weeks, seven days a week, and she's going, I don't know where my time is going. And what I saw when we started tracking her time, what we saw was that she was scheduling her day all day every day, but she didn't account for the there was things that she hadn't budgeted for. So, for example, the amount of administrative work that was required in her position, we've discovered that probably half the day was administrative stuff. 
that she needed to contend with. So she needed to allow that time in her calendar to do it so that she could be realistic with her budget. The other thing we did was um, she had she had to do quarterly reports and a whole right range of different reports. And with this one report that was coming up that was almost due because she was sick of doing reports on the weekends because she'd run out of time, said, let's get ahead, let's plan out, let's break down this elephant into bite-sized chunks how much time do you think it's going to take you to do that report? And she said, oh, look, I think it's six hours. It'll only take me about six hours to do that report. So we we decided that each week she was going to do two hours of that report, two hours this week, two hours the next week until it was done. But I asked her to track her time so we could see, was your estimate real? Was your Was your budget real? Was that the right amount of time? And what we found was that um, the time that it took her to complete that report was actually 12 hours, not six. So it was double what she had budgeted wow. for, which explains <laughs> why she was working 60 hours, seven days a week, right? Yes. No, exactly. That is that is a huge big chunk of time that you don't account for. Yeah, that's um, it. And it's those little yeah. things that will sneak in to uh, eat away at your time, Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely a lot more than just sort of timing out your day hour by hour. It's more it's more intricate than that, I would say. Yeah, because we can time out our day hour by hour, but what are we putting into that hour? This is where it comes down to the prioritization, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is there are the biggest trap that I see if you've ever done the matrix, the the it's called the Eisenhower quadrant, or it's called the um, important urgent matrix. You've probably seen it. It's often referred to in time management, and there's a part of the quadrant where it refers to things that are um, important. They're really important, but they're not urgent. So a report mm-hmm. or an assignment or um, um, quality time with your family. Uh, checking in with customers or clients, those things are incredibly important, aren't they? They're not urgent. And mm-hmm. so typically we'll say, I don't need to do it now. I'll do it when I've got some spare time. When I've got because it's not because it's not urgent right now, I'll do it when I've got some time. And mm-hmm. then what happens is we don't do it and suddenly it becomes crisis. We don't make time for our family and then suddenly our relationships are um, in turmoil. So, that one in particular is those things that sit within that quadrant, you need to schedule into your diary. Yeah. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're typically the things that get neglected. And the yeah, things no. that are, yeah, the, the things it, that are um, in, urgent but not necessarily important, they're the things you want to delegate. So they're things like paying a bill, um, I'm trying to think, answering the message bank on your phone. You'll, you'll delegate. It's not important. It's urgent. The phone has to be answered. It could be that job interview, right? But it, it yes. doesn't have to be you that's answering the phone. It's the message bank. Wow. No, I think when you're talking about time management, it's so much more um, specific than I originally thought. When I heard the whole idea of time management, I was like, okay, it's just on my calendar. I go eight to nine, nine to 10, 10 to 11. But it's so much more about what are you doing with 
that amount of time in that yeah. space of three hours. What are you using it for? Are you using it to, um, are you using it the way that that person, that that other person that you're talking about the 30 minutes on the 15 minutes off, are you doing it that way? Is that productive? And wow, it's just gotten so much more deep. And now my brain is really thinking about how much I'm using time. <laughs> the other thing to think about in terms of how you're using time, there's a there's a another time management guru by the name of David Allen who wrote a book called Getting Things Done. And he talked about touch points, how many touch how many times you touch things and how many times you process things. One of the things you mentioned before is getting doing your assignment and stopping and starting and getting distracted or multitasking is this misnomer about time management. Research has shown that when we stop and start doing a task, for example, if we go and watch YouTube or TikTok or we answer the phone or any of those things, the task that we're doing will actually take three times as long than if we just <sighs> stuck with that one task. So mm -hmm. the more you stop and start something, it's going to take you three times as long to complete it. That's why with that student doing the intense blog, she actually got it done quicker because she wasn't stopping, starting, stopping, starting. And it's the same with the touch points. The more you have to process something, touch it, look at it, reassess it, it's stealing time from you. And the classic example is email management. So when I readjust email systems with my clients, I will typically give them back two hours in a day. That works out to about 10 hours a week. That's huge. It's significant. Yeah. And it's because I'm reducing how many times they're looking through their emails. Another touch point. Well, we do all do it. Looking up and down, looking up and down. What do I need to do? What do I need to process? And you, that's a touch point that we're doing every time. Now, it may only be a second or two here and there, maybe a minute, but it's I liken it to putting a bucket under a dripping tap. It's just a drip. You know, it's just a drip. But if we come back to that bucket two hours later, it's overflowing with water because mm -hmm. that drip has accumulated the mat on mass. That's quite a lot that we've wasted. But at the time, we think, oh, it's just a drip. It's just a drip. So that's the other key thing is the more that we have to double handle things, um, the more it's stealing time from us and reducing our uh, effectiveness, like uh, our accuracy. So we want to reduce manual data entry, um, transferring one piece of information to another place. All of those things uh, will steal time away from us and we won't even know it. We won't even realize. And I can, like I said, I can give people back 10 hours in a week just by dealing wow. with that. Wow, that's amazing. We should get you here to the office and sort out everybody. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's, it's amazing just how much when you really focus on something. And I mean, we talk about it all the time. You've got to focus on one task at a time, got to think, take things one step at a time. But we get so distracted, whether it's, whether it's a call, whether it's um, needed to reply to a message really quickly, whether it's getting distracted and going on Instagram, like there's so many different things. And I think in the world as, as like techie as we are today, we're all very much inclined to check our phones and be very attached to our phones every few minutes or so. Um, I know I've got mine right next to me now and I'm like 
looking at it like anytime it goes off I'm staring over at it and it's it's a huge distraction but you don't realize no, how distracting yeah. it is <laughs> yeah definitely um one of the fun, one of Simon Sinek's videos that he did which I absolutely loved was again about the relationship and communication and I've done this and I'm sure other people have done it when you're in a meeting with someone and your phone rings and it may not even ring you just see it flash or you, you, there's something on your watch but you see that you see it ring you stop and look at it and you say say to the other person oh they can wait I'm not going to answer it and in the moment you think you're giving time to the other person but what you're mm-hmm. actually saying to them is oh I'm making a choice between I'm deciding between you and them whether I'm not I'm going to talk to you and I choose you, which in essence is disrespectful in some of those really precious situations. You should actually be going, I'm 100% here with you. I don't even need to yeah. think about who's there. So show people respect by putting the phone down and away so that they know you're 100% present with them. Um, and I know it gets talked about a lot when we go out for meals with friends and family and yeah. yeah. Um, it's yeah. a very easy all... temptation. No, I, it's very easy. Even just taking a photo of your friends all together, sometimes you still get distracted somehow. And it's, it's, I think when it comes to time for me, it's all about knowing how much it impacts yourself and you don't even realize how much time really impacts the productivity that you are and vice versa yeah so now we're gonna go and I've got a lot of questions from audience um I've mentioned a few when we were talking throughout this show but there are a few that actually have stuck out to me and that I I think really would like your expertise on how to handle it so the first one is what are some techniques or tools that I can use to maintain a focus and even minimize some of the distractions that are around me? So one of the things that I first do with people within the workplace is get them to turn off the email, the pop-ups that appear. We we all have them on our computer, various different, it doesn't matter what system you are have, there's pop-ups. And so what that does, as I mentioned before, is it, it shifts your focus so it becomes multitasking. I'm now going, oh, I'm going to have a look at that, take my mind off that thing I'm looking at and put my mind here. So we want to be able to eliminate as much as possible the things that are coming into our space that, that are going to distract us when we need to have that focus time. For me, what I find really useful is um, uh, listening to music and there's particular music and sound waves that ha- the evidence has shown that they'll help you concentrate and be more productive in that moment. There's one pianist in particular and his music's amazing and it's being proven that his style of music is actually um, uh, helps you to be productive and I love it. I listen to that on Spotify all the time. So uh, closing the door putting in your headphones and listening to something. Plus that tells other people you're sending them a message that this is focused time for working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, making sure you have plenty of water. If you're finding you can't concentrate and you're sluggish, it might be that you're dehydrated and having a glass of water can actually make a huge difference as well. Yeah. 
Okay, perfect. And I think the water thing is something that is um, slowly becoming an obvious trait of mine for the lack of. So yeah, I think I've been told so often I need to drink more water and I think I need to start really now taking that to heart and <laughs> taking it personally as well. And the other thing too is actually, so what I, this is the holistic approach as well when looking, looking, working with clients is looking at where your energy flow is throughout the day. So for example, I know um, I'm on a different diet, so it's not as bad, but when I was having rice and carbs for lunch an hour afterwards, there's no way I can concentrate. Um, sometimes when there are busy times of the day where people want and need us, it's pointless trying to write a report or an assignment during that period of time. So the key is with your list of things that you want to achieve or things that you want, that you, the, the task list that you have, identify the ones that are low energy and low brain power tasks. Because when you hit those moments, trying to push through with something that's just not going to work because you're tired or you're getting interruptions, that's when you want to be able to empty your inbox reprioritize your tasks, clean your desk, um, file some things. They are tasks that are quick and short. They're helpful. They need to be done, but they don't require a lot of brain energy and they can handle interruption. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that is a very important thing because my the, when you're mentioning that, my time of being sluggish goes from about two to five. And that's where like, it's right in the afternoon. And so it's, that's very, um, I've only recently learned that as well. I think people always have different times. Like there are some people who can't handle morning or evening. Mine is middle of the afternoon when everything needs to get sent in and everything needs to get done. That's when, um, my little spot of complete lack of brain power comes into play. So it's always very interesting when talking about this, cause it's not something that I realized until, I think a few months ago when I was talking with a friend. So it's a really new um, introduction to me to really realize that that's the time. Yeah. So, so that you don't beat yourself up is, is that's the time to allow yourself going with the grain. That's a low energy time. So don't try and do those things then. Um, so when you need to do things that require a lot of brain energy and focus time, think about when those times are in your day. When are those <laughs> times? Because that's when you need to be doing your planning, your writing, your researching, or those kind of things where you don't want to be interrupted and you really want to use your brain. Uh, the <laughs> mistake that a lot of people I see with starting a side hustle or as a business is they try and do it at the end of the day after they've finished work, but by then their work has got all their had all their brain energy, and so they can't <laughs> do it. So really, what they need to do is use that as rest and recovery time, and get up earlier in the morning. And early in the morning, give that then solid couple of hours, then go to work so that. You're actually using your energy before your work takes it all away from you. Yeah. Yep. No, that is, that's such good advice. And I will try to implement that in my everyday. And I hope everyone's listening does too. Um, the next one is something that I think a lot of us really struggle with. And this person says that I have trouble saying no to requests and end up overcommitting myself, causing stress and inefficiency. How can I learn to set boundaries and manage my time effectively without feeling guilty? 
Yeah, good question. And as I had mentioned before, it's a common thing that I teach people with. So there's a few elements to that. One is being able to learning skills and assertiveness. And assertiveness is being able to communicate what you want and what you need in a way that is emotionally intelligent and that is in a way that's professional as well. So you're not getting aggressive. You're not getting all emotional. You're not resisting and giving in. You're going, well, you know what? If you want this from me, then I'm going to need this. Um, so here's a few tips, though, in terms of how you say no without saying no, without going, no, I'm not going to do that, and setting boundaries mm. is some things that you can do is firstly acknowledge and appreciate that someone's asked you. So I can appreciate why you've come to ask me to do that thing. However, um, I'm at capacity right now. Um, I love that as a statement because um, saying that you're at capacity means that you're taking ownership for your own capability. So, I look, I appreciate you've come to me with this and I, uh, uh, and I can see why you have, but I'm at capacity right now. Um, some other things that you can do, quite often people come to us because we're the leaders. We're the go-to person. We know how to do this. Uh, if I give you an example, um, unjamming the photocopier used to be a big one, right? There's always one person in the office who knew how to unjam that photocopier. They were the expert. No one else knew how to do it. And you can imagine they got interrupted all the time. Oh, can you please help me? The photocopier's jammed again. So that person has to say to everyone, have a go. When you get stuck, if you can't solve it, come and see me. So um, we do that with our kids, right? As parents, we do that with kids. We'll say when they're trying to try to tie up their shoelaces, have a go. Mm. When you get stuck, I will come and help you. Because if we step in and do it, they will never learn and they'll keep asking us. Um, the other way that you can say no is also saying if it's a boss or a supervisor, um, to be able to say, this is what I've got on my plate at the moment. I feel like I'm at capacity. Is there anything you want me to not do in order to take on this new task? Because they may not be aware that you're actually loaded. So mm -hmm. I've got all of these things. Is there something that you would like me to not do in order to take this on? Uh, another one you can do is to ask people um, how urgent is urgent. So if I come to you and go, oh, my God, this is urgent. Can you do it? Try giving an option. If I get that to you at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the day, whatever, is that going to work for you? Because I'm not mm -hmm. going to be able to do it now. Um, the other one, if you're getting interrupted, you can simply say, can I come back to you? Can you give me a moment? I'll come back to you on that. Uh, can, I, can I come back to you on that one? So there's just mm -hmm. quickly just a number of different ways in terms of using language to be able to communicate your needs in a way that's professional and emotionally intelligent. Yeah. And you can do that mm -hmm. at work or with your friends or your family. Yeah. To set some boundaries. Yeah. 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 I think boundaries are something that a lot of us really lack because especially if you want to be there for people, whether it's coworkers, whether it's friends or family, you want to be there but at the moment, you're also thinking about like the whole idea of I'm at capacity. I'm loaded with a whole other things. You need to be able to learn to say no. And I think that's the hardest word to for anyone to ever say. No is literally the hardest word that anyone has ever needed to say. It's yeah. two letters, but somehow it's like the hardest. It means so much. It means 
that you can't help someone or you're not able to help someone. So it's it's an intense phrase to use um, to, with a lot of people. Yeah. And so it doesn't, as I demonstrated to you, you don't have to go, no, I'm not doing that. There are other ways that you can push back without um, without actually saying that word. You can still be professional. You can still be emotionally intelligent in the response that you provide and assert yeah. your wants and needs. And it can also be if you want me to do that, like my husband says, help me to help you. He used to say it to my kids all the time, right? If you want mm-hmm. me to do for you, I'd be happy to do it. But in order for me to do that, I'm going to need this, this and this from you. So you can push back in that way as well, making a request in terms of how things come to you. One of my favorite sayings is the power of your yes comes down to how well you can say no. So what mm-hmm. that means is that if you don't if you don't set those boundaries, if you can't respect your own boundaries and your own time, then how on earth are you, are you going to expect other people to respect it? And so the key here is not about what you're saying yes to. It's getting really clear on what you're going to say no to. So where are your limitations? And in mediation, we do that. We go, where where can you compromise and where won't you? And it's not mm-hmm. knowing what I think the key is going, what am I going to say no to? What are the things I say no to? Because that means... What's left is all the yes stuff that you will say yes to. And that's where you need to put your focus and your attention and your power and your energy. No, I think I think that's amazing. And I think the different ways to say no definitely do help in terms of also wanting to maintain a relationship with them and not being taken the wrong way and not being feeling guilty or feeling judged in any way. So no, I think that's that's amazing. Um now we're into the last, very last section of the show, which is the open mic. Um, it gets you to talk about anything that you're passionate about. It doesn't have to do with the topic. It doesn't have to do with what we're talking about today. Um, just something from you to the guests, to the audience, um, if you want to share anything. So in the last like minute or so, I'd love to give you the floor and basically, yeah, share anything that you, uh, you're passionate about. Well, something that I'm passionate about right now is around, in particularly in Australia in the workplace, is legislation has changed around psychological risk. Has something that really fascinates me in the workplace. I know it's still related to everything I do, um, but obviously this is what I place value on, right? But psychological risk is not just about where there's trauma or any of those things. It's also about how do we create a culture where people feel safe to speak up where people can criticize things safely, where you can have safe conflicts. And if you think about it, if I'm in a workplace where I'm too scared to tell you the machine's not working properly, you could die. Like if I'm too scared to speak up because I might be ridiculed or I don't think I'm valued or any of those things, serious things can happen at cost to the business. But legislation has actually changed around that where we now workplaces actually have to create a place, a workplace, that reduces any psychological risk. Um, And that's a big thing in terms of productivity, stress management and all of those. So, yeah, (laughs) that's probably something I'm really passionate about right now. No, that's that's an incredible thing. And I think especially in terms of just creating a safe environment for every employee, every person in the workplace gives them a chance to also 
find the freedom to speak up if something is going wrong, to have that person that they can really trust in the office if they can't trust any of their co-workers that they're working with. So I think that's that's a great legislation that they are now sort of implementing. Yeah, it's an interesting one too because we all know about hard hats and trip hazards and all of those things because they're things that we can see, but mental injury is not one that we can see, but has a huge impact, huge cost to to businesses and productivity. So um, it's really interesting that it's now being being enforced, and I think it's enforced because so many work cover and insurances and things. It's it's massive in terms of recovery time and and cost to recovery. It's huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can't wait to see that being explored even further and hopefully maybe even um, expanded a little more throughout the years, especially now that they're even making that a possibility. So I can't wait to see it. And I can't wait to see it in any other country that they start to do that in as well. So it would be very interesting. Yeah. I want to thank you so much, Barbara, for coming on and talking about time management and actually really informing me how much how the different ways like the the pomodoro technique and the different ways that you can sort of really budget your time and different terms that I've never heard before but somehow I felt like I have seen somewhere so it's really fascinating to me um I don't feel I don't feel like I can laugh at myself a little bit more when it comes to time management because I've now found the techniques that I can do that um if audience members would like to get in contact with you, whether to talk about this a little further or even say things that I've missed out on saying, is there a way that they are able to get into contact? Yeah, look, there's, if you want to go to my website, there's some quizzes and scorecards. So self that will, that people can take that will give you a customized report. So a lot of people get great value from that and that's free. So my website is hinwoodinstitute.com. Um, otherwise, I'm on all the social media platforms. I spend a lot of time on TikTok, LinkedIn, Facebook, but I am, I'm going to boost my presence on Instagram a bit more. But if you search, I'm known as the Time Tamer. So if you search that, you will find me on most of those mm-hmm. platforms. Yeah. Wow. You're very up to date with so many tech- <laughs> so many different apps. It's incredible. I will have all of those down in description below uh, for easy access for a lot of the audience members. Um, Yeah, so thank you so much, Barbara. And I hope that everyone here has enjoyed this podcast as much as I have. And I know that um, definitely go and keep in contact with Barbara and probably follow her on different social media, all the social medias that she's apparently on. So uh, yeah, definitely go and keep up to date with everything that she posts up and yeah thank you guys so much for listening i will see you guys in the next episode you have been listening to work in progress the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by the life management science labs listen to episodes from lmsl's 10 life management perspectives on apple podcasts google podcasts Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pp.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.